0: Welcome back to Mark's
1: Madness.
0: That was my best David impression.
1: All he right, David, and you're never going to hear from him again.
0: David actually joined the IDF. He was a plant, and he got murked in that 21 soldier Till That's <laughs> the current event for today. We're not going to cover anything else. We're just going to talk about how fucking cool that video was. It was like some GoPro. fuck? <laughs>
1: all of the all of the fucking idf propaganda is the weakest shit ever and then the
0: well there's that uh, controlled demolition they did that they just like played from 18 angles repeatedly and it's like genocide <laughs> you know <laughs> all that is is evidence from 15
1: we, different we also angles. just happen to mail it right to the international court of justice
0: well, you saw, you saw the press secretary when, like, asked. There was just that one dude. He was, like, casually sitting there. You have nothing to say about yeah. what looks like a controlled demolition of civilian infrastructure.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know what was underneath it. Well, it doesn't matter. They were able to go in and fucking raise it to the foundation. The fuck are you talking? Wasn't that a university, too?
1: Yeah, they also fucking bombed uh the, un- the like only university.
0: Well, now there's zero hospitals operating, right? Cuz they've all been bombed.
1: <laughs> well, like, who it, needs a hospital?
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's fucked up. Like this is terrible. And then in, on, on the US side of things, I saw some people, you know, in the hood, their fucking sewage is backing up with gray water and stuff in their city and it's like we're sending all of this money and aid over there and, and citizens are fucking experiencing some of the same horrible conditions over there. Now, when we look at like the black community as an internal colony, it's a little um, obvious, I guess what's happening, you know,
1: <laughs> uh, it just turns out that colonialism, it's not good folks. Not good. Not good anywhere.
0: but yes if you don't know there was 21 soldiers killed by two well-placed rpg oh i guess it's not even an rpg i forget what they call them um but it's
1: uh, i I think it's called no scoping (laughs) shut up as the kids these days call it
0: uh well i mean aren't rpgs always no scopes
1: no, I'm pretty sure there's a scope on an RPG. <laughs> I think no scoping just makes you look cool. Are there scopes on an RPG? I'm, I'm Googling stuff that's going to get me on a list. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, there's, there's a, uh, according to the Australian government's war memorial, there are scopes on RPGs
0: well shit so he no scoped these motherfuckers and it's kind of a cool video you should check it i mean like it's it's like filmed on a Nokia, but like you you know you, you see him like running out of like this wooded area and it's like you're telling me these soldiers aren't going into those areas i'm like wait i mean like it's just like clear like cowardice that's that's Going on with the colonial occupation, they want to stay in their, you know, armored vehicles and stuff, and they just keep getting blown up.
1: You well, know, so like, there's that, and also like the same fucking Americans who ran the count, the failed counterinsurgencies in Iraq and Afghanistan are advising the IDF right now. <laughs> like the u.s literally like once this started biden literally sent the guys in charge of fallujah and other war crimes but nonetheless failed counterinsurgency operations like what what logic is there for that
0: well right i mean like this is just failed tactics being repeated over and over again it's like they 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 share the tactics, the, what works and doesn't work, right in their occupations, and somehow they they're still Just not uh, the tactics.
1: They,
0: yeah, they're, they're not advancing whatsoever. It's how we were still using cavalry lines in like Vietnam. You know, <laughs> I, mean, I don't know what to do. Throw the cavalry at it. <laughs> but anyway, so well, it's like I I think their thinking is well, the Rough Riders did it in Cuba, right? Oh, God, it, the Rough Riders didn't have the horses, actually. Like, there ended up not being a lot of horses in the Calvary. So, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's a lot. It seems like a lot of mythology going into um, their tactics. Like, they're just like, well, this is how it's always worked, you know. Um, By
1: always, we mean one time in a very specific case,
0: right? And even then, like, nobody wants to talk about like the strategic use of guerrilla fighters from you know the indigenous side of things and the slave side of things that were also opposed to spain that the us i mean like, like let's be honest it wasn't the rough riders who did the most work you know? <laughs> most of those dudes came in to be cannon fodder like
1: <laughs> but those anyway guerrillas though those are uh, terrorists
0: are are we wait who
1: the uh the indigenous and uh oh yeah yeah people
0: yeah right exactly well i mean those actually are guerrilla fighters like you know all jokes aside but like you know the rough riders it wasn't the cavalry tactics that led that war that's just you know disingenuous like this the same reason fidel was able to win is the same reason the U.S. being poorly equipped was able to win in the Spanish-American War, you know? Um, at any rate, so there's some books and stuff you could read on that. Uh, otherwise, we're going to go on to our reading. And try I to get actually a lot-
1: have a not-so-current event oh. that I think you'd get a kick out of. Have you ever heard of uh, Zeno? media or xeno radio or whatever the fuck specifically for you shigmani too no what
0: what is it sorry i was muted What, what is it
1: i was listening to one of my nerd urban planning podcasts uh the war against cars and they were interviewing this uh dude who's running a bike swap thing and one of his earlier ventures he's some run-of-the-mill bourgeois guy so not really that interesting but one of his previous ventures was that he made a uh like a pirate radio station in collaboration with uh the tribal governments in south dakota or some shit
0: this is crazy okay
1: where uh he linked up radio like international radio uh antenna on the reservations and when was this this was in like the 90s and like hot wired it to a phone and then had people in new york who were cabbies call it so they can like listen to their like bangladeshi radio station and and then uh the FCC requires like at and and Verizon and all of them to pay a tariff uh, for every minute that a uh, phone call goes through uh, tribal uh, l- lines. So then the, gu- the tribal governments were getting like millions of extra minutes per day in fees from AT&T and shit.
0: What? <laughs> <laughs> Wait. Sh- oh, my God. Okay.
1: And then they got sued to shut down because Ed, they were like, you're taking advantage of the system. You can't be do. We don't want to be paying so much every day.
0: Right. That's. Oh, oh my God. That's something else. Yeah, really. <laughs> That's like anarchism. <laughs> like, in a nutshell, it's like you can do the thing, but at the cost of indigenous people.
1: (laughs) No, no, the the tribal government was taking the money. They didn't get rid of the tariff or anything. They just, like, ordered the radio station to shut down. Hmm. I just think it's really fucking funny.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What an interesting little story. I don't know. I kind of want to look into that and do an episode and be like, cool. (laughs) <laughs> I know some people back in the day during wounded knee that were setting up like shortwave uh, yeah. transmitters uh, to uh, transmit from wounded knee out to the public uh, despite the blockade. <laughs> um, That's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 It's, it's super fucking interesting. Cause this dude was like a chemistry, like doctorate or some shit like that. And uh, he just like, You know, goes out with all of his university buddies to Wounded Knee uh, instead, and like catches uh, the Custer riots, and then uh, goes to Wounded Knee uh, like right after it ends, basically, and well, it's about to end, and uh, does some cool stuff with the people there, and like has just like a room in one of one of he has like a whole little like hippie compound of tiny homes in the middle of the woods in fucking Washington. And one of them's a barn with like an archive full of like terabytes of archive footage from around the world from various like gurus, civil rights activists. I mean, like they hung out with the Dalai Lama like nine times or some shit like that. And on the seventh time, the Dalai Lama like dreaded his beard And that beard is still dreaded and it's gross as fuck. But, you know. It sounds
1: kind of CIA-ish, but also kind of (laughs) cool.
0: Well, no, this is, they're clearly not CIA-ish, you know. They're just, Uh, it was all part of something called the video freak movement. And it was just well-off white people who were like, let's film everything. Uh, Uh Yeah. It sounds like like a (laughs) podcast.
1: It's like that John Wilson show now. I don't know what that is.
0: Who's John Wilson? <laughs>
1: he's 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 uh around Nathan Fielder.
0: Is he Owen Wilson's brother or
1: something? Yes. No, oh, he's God. he's just oh, some God. like nerd who like films everything and got managed to get HBO to give him a TV show somehow. <laughs> That's awesome. It's really fun it's a really funny show actually.
0: <laughs> Look, once we launched the Lego Star by the way, I actually have been collecting Legos. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious about this once i get a camera <laughs> we're gonna get hbo to put us on on hbo with the lego star it's gonna be like robot chicken but worse oh god everybody loved robot chicken remember
1: yes unfortunately i do what
0: no nobody liked robot chicken what are you talking about are
1: you kidding me everyone in my fucking middle school loved robot chicken also robot chicken is still going
0: is it really? I would have thought they'd cancel it. Jesus. They really are just like, we got to fill the time slots.
1: Yeah, no, it's still going.
0: Just Seth Green playing with fucking
1: <laughs>
0: dolls. <laughs> Who wants to watch that? <laughs> anyway, what the fuck? So, um, we, like I said, we're on uh, slide. Well, we're at the end of slide 151 rum malibu caribou we got to get this job done i'm gonna i'm gonna mute myself now and prez is gonna continue where they left off on a common error in historical political analysis at the bottom of the page
1: a common error in historical political analysis consists in an inability to find the correct relation between what is organic and what is conjunctural This leads to presenting causes as immediately operative, which in fact only operate indirectly, or to asserting that the immediate causes are the only effective ones. In the first case, there is an an excess of quote-unquote economism or doctrinaire pedantry. In the second, an excess of ideologism. In the first case, there is an overestimation of mechanical causes. In the second, an exaggeration of the voluntarist and individual element. Parentheses, the distinction between organic movements and facts and conjunctural or occasional ones must be applied to all types of situations, not only to those in which a regressive development or an acute crisis takes place, but also to those in which there is a progressive development or one towards prosperity or in which the productive forces are stagnant, in parentheses. The dialectical nexus between the two categories of movement and therefore of research is hard to establish precisely. Moreover, if this error is serious in historiography it becomes still more serious in the art of politics when it is not the reconstruction of the past history, but the construction of present and future history, which is at stake one's own desires and one's baser and more immediate passions are the cause of error in that they take the place of an objective and impartial analysis And this happens not as a conscious quote-unquote means to stimulate to action, but as self-deception. In this case, too, the snake bites the charlatan. In other words, the demagogue is the first victim of his own demagogy. The failure to consider... That's a banger line, but... The failure to consider the immediate moment of... Quote, relations of force, end quote, is linked to residues of the vulgar liberal conception of which syndicalism is a manifestation which thought itself more advanced when in reality it was taking a step backward. In fact, the vulgar liberal conception stressing relations between political forces organized in the various forms of party, newspaper readership, parentheses, newspaper readership's parliamentary and a, a local elections, the mass organizations of parties and trade unions in the strict sense, and parentheses. So here he's meeting, talking about how the idea of a party is much bigger than like a party membership. Um, was more advanced than syndicalism, which gave primordial importance to the fundamental socioeconomic relation and only to that. The vulgar, the vulgar liberal conception took implicit account of the socioeconomic relation too, as many signs clearly indicate, but it put more emphasis on the relation of political forces, which was an expression of the former and in reality contained it. These residues of the vulgar liberal conception can be traced in a whole series of works purporting to be connected with the philosophy of praxis and have given rise to infantile forms of optimism and folly. These methodological criteria will acquire, visibly and didactically, their full significance if they are applied to the examination of concrete historical facts. This might usefully be done for the events which took place in France from 1789 to 1870. It seems to me that for greater clarity of exposition, it is precisely necessary to take in the whole of this period. In fact, it was only in 1870-71, to 71, with the attempt of the Commune, that all of the germs of 1789 were finally historically exhausted. It was then that the new bourgeois class, struggling for power, defeated not only the representatives of the old society unwilling to admit that it had been definitively superseded, but also the the still newer groups who maintained that the new structure created by the 1789 revolution was itself already outdated. By this victory, the bourgeoisie demonstrated its vitality vis-à-vis the old and the very new. Furthermore, it was in 1870 that the body of principles of political strategy and tactics engendered in practice in 1789 and developed ideologically around 1848 lost their efficacy. Parentheses, I am referring to those which can be resumed in the formula of quote-unquote permanent revolution. It would be interesting to study how much of this formula passed into Mazzini's strategy, for example, in the Milan insurrection of 1853, and whatever this happened consciously and whether this happened consciously or not, in parentheses. One piece of evidence for the correctness of this point of view is the fact that historians are by no means one of one mind, parentheses, and it is impossible that they should be, in parentheses, in fixing... The limits historians are by no means of one mind, and it is possible that they should be in fixing the limits of the group of events which constitute the French Revolution. For some, Salvamini, for instance, the revolution was complete at Valmy. The France had created its new state and had shown itself capable of organizing its political military force necessary to assert and defend its territorial sovereignty. For others, the revolution continues until the Thermidor. Indeed, they speak of various revolutions. Tenth of August is a separate revolution, etc. See La Revolution Francaise by A. Mathias in. The A. Collins series, again, he's just pulling this shit off the top of his head. The interpretation of Thermidor and of the work of Napoleon provokes the sharpest disagreements. Was it the revolution? Was it revolution or counter-revolution? For others, the, revol- the history of the revolution continues until 1830, 1848, 1870, and even until World War until the world war of 1914 and we still see this discussion today
0: (laughs) well and i mean we see new forms of it in other places right like that have experienced bourgeois revolutions Um, i think a lot of it comes down to you know uh when democracies get introduced and how much extent the democracy actually is right like mark says you know democracy for the slave owners you know? <laughs> or landowners i think he says specifically specifically but same difference
1: well then also you even have people fucking asking joan live what was the significance of the french revolution to chinese china's revolution um <laughs> all these views are partially true in reality the internal contradictions which develop after 1789 and the structure of French society are resolved to a relative degree only with the Third Republic, and France has now enjoyed 60 years of stable political life only after 80 years of convulsions at ever longer intervals, 1789, 1794, 1799, 1804, 1815, 1830, 1848, 1870. Um, I think we should have an addendum for the, the uh, new French Republics. What was the fourth and fifth Republic? French fourth Republic. France has had so many republics, goddamn. So, the Third Republic was 1870. As we said, the Fourth Republic was... (laughs) This guy, fucking... I know each of them by heart. 1946 to
0: 1958.
1: I think we're in the Fifth Republic now. Yeah, and we're currently in the Fifth Republic. And then Fifth Republic is nineteen fifty-eight. So it's to
0: want us to just go on the French route towards yeah. a better world and it's like just fuck it. End France.
1: Let let a million republics bloom.
0: Well, it's more like end <laughs> the prison house of nations where a million republics already exist. Sure. And, and even then it's not really republics, it's more federations and shit confederation there's a variety
1: i was just counting how many one two three four five six seven eight nine ten france has gone through ten different <laughs> <laughs> holy shit just end france just end it start something new they're trying
0: <laughs> neo Gaul. i don't
1: if anyone's trying to end end france it's the french anyway it's
0: more it is like precisely
1: the victims. study <laughs> it is precisely the study of these intervals of varying frequency which enables one to con- reconstruct the relations on the one hand between structure and superstructure and on the other between the development of the organic movement and that of the conjunctural movement in the structure one might say that the dialectical mediation between the two methodological principles formulated at the beginning of this note is to be found in the historical political formula of permanent revolution. Gramsci-Trotskyist arc, here we go. The the question of so-called relations of force is an aspect of the same problem. One often reads in historical narratives the generic expression, quote-unquote, quote, the relations of force, favorable or unfavorable to this or that tendency, unquote. In such abstract terms, this formulation explains nothing or almost nothing, since it merely repeats twice over the fact, which needs to be explained once as a fact and once as an abstract law and an explanation the theoret- theoretical error consists therefore in making what is a principle of research and interpretation into a historical cause
0: meanwhile I can take you over if you want okay you've been reading for a while it looks like it's a long chapter <laughs> <laughs> so meanwhile in the relation of forces various moments or levels must be distinguished and they are fundamentally the following one a relation of social forces which is closely linked to the structure, objective, independent of human will, and which can be measured with the systems of ex- of the exact or physical sciences. The level of development of the material forces of production provides a basis for the emergence of the various social groupings, represents a function, and has a specific position within production itself. This relation is what it is, a refractory reality nobody can alter the number of firms of their Wait, What nobody can alter the number of firms or their employees, the number of cities or the given urban population, etc. Well, you can you do, you could kill people.
1: I I think he's just talking broadly. Well, <laughs> I, I'm
0: just saying. <laughs> <laughs> i
1: all con on the, on the, region <laughs> you, you can
0: definitely alter things let me tell you So this fundamental configuration allows one to study whether in a particular society there exists the necessary and sufficient conditions for its transformation. In other words, to check the degree of realism and practicability of the various ideologies which have been born on its own terrain, on the terrain of the contradictions which it has engendered during the course of its development. And honestly, I think there's a little, little uh, determinism going here. I get what he's getting at, but I think a lot of like Pat Soshi's would read this and be like, look, indigenous people are uh lesser (laughs) materially than white people were by virtue of the way treaties worked out mostly like i don't think people understand the actual history that went on like the achete shakawin was the last people conquered and they're in the middle of the fucking country and it takes forever for us to get conquered because of the development that we had and our systems you know like it wasn't that we were like just so ferocious hordes that they couldn't defeat us, like as organization, and like the exact like we would exact tolls and shit from settlers crossing to the Oregon Trail, and you know, like, <laughs> do a bunch of funny shit like that. But like uh, you, you like uh, the only like advantage whites ever had on us was their weaponry because first off, the teepee is still used to this day. Like people are still living in teepees on my land. You know <laughs> that that's a real sentence. You know, like uh, I don't, th- I don't think people really get that. Like across the country, Indigenous people developed at the same rate, and then some of us, you know, developed on our own for a very long time with mild influence. I mean, we started to get, you know, the trade goods or whatever because of the way trade routes are set up, and then with the tolls. But like, we were able to present the same level of power to the point that we won our war. And Ulysses Grant said, give them what they want. You know, like (laughs) that was the, the, the terms of peace, the U S accepted was whatever we will, whatever we wanted. So (laughs) I like people don't, I think, get how developed uh, other cultures can be. Um, away from a Eurocentric model of modernity, right? I think Leshuba from the EFF really does a great job at outlining that in his book, Development as Modernity, Modernity as Development. Anyway, I just, you know, advanced theory. uh, (laughs) A subsequent moment is a relation of political forces, in other words, an evaluation of the degree of homogeneity. Wait, did I say that right? Anyway, self-awareness and organization attained by the various social... Are you muted? Are you saying things, Prez? I
1: was about to say homogeneity was right, but then you started talking.
0: Okay, okay. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) by the various social groups, the moment can in its turn be analyzed and differentiated into various levels, corresponding to the various moments of collective political consciousness. As they have manifested themselves into his well in history up till now the first and most elementary of these is the economic corporate level a tradesman feels ob- obliged to stand by another tradesman a manufacturer by another manufacturer etc the tradesman does not yet feel solidarity with the manufacturer in other words the members of the professional group are conscious of its unity and homogeneity homo- yeah homogeneity and of the need to organize it. But in this, in the case of the wider social group, this is not yet. So a second moment is that in which consciousness is reached of the solidarity of interest among all the members of the social group, but still in the purely economic field already in this moment, the problem of the state is posed, but only in terms of winning political juridical political juridical equality. Holy fucking, I hate it. Anyway, equality with the ruling groups. The right is claimed to, to participate in legislation and administration, even to reform these, but within the existing fundamental structure. A third moment is that in which so that's like your your reformists, that's like the Bernie bros, right? <laughs> A third moment is that in which one becomes aware that one's corporate interests in their present and future development transcend the corporate limits of the merely economic group and can and must become the interest of other subordinate groups. This is the most purely political phase and marks the decisive passage from the structure to the sphere of the complex superstructures it is the phase in which previously germinated ideologies become party come into confrontation and conflict until only one of them, or at least a single combination of them, tends to prevail, to gain the upper hand, to propagate itself over the whole social area, bring about not only a unison of economic, political aims, but also intellectual and moral unity, posing all the questions around which the struggle rages not on a corporate, but on a universal plane, and thus creating the hegemony of a fundamental social group over a series of subordinate groups It is true that the state is seen as the organ of one particular group destined to create favorable conditions for the latter's maximum expansion, but the development and expansion of the particular group are conceived of and presented as being the motor force of a universal expansion to development of all the national energies. In other words, the dominant group is coordinated concretely with the, general interests of the subordinate groups and the life of the state is conceived of as continuous process of formation and superseding of unstable equilibria on the juridical plane in parentheses between the interests of the fundamental group and those of the subordinate groups equilibria in which the interests of the dominant group prevail, but only in which the interests of the dominant group, wait, but only up to a certain point i.e. stopping short of narrowly narrowly economic corporate interests. <sighs> Jesus. In real history these moments imply each other reciprocally horizontally and vertically so to speak i.e. according to socioeconomic activity horizontally and to territories vertically combining and diverging in various ways each of these combinations may be represented by its own organized economic and political expressions it is also necessary to take into account the fact that international relations intertwine with these internal relations of nation-states creating new original and historically concrete combinations A a particular ideology, for instance, born in a highly developed country, is disseminated in less developed countries, impinging on the local interplay of of combinations. Religion, for example, has always been a source of such national, international, ideological, political combinations. I fucking hate Hegelian hyphenations anyway and so too have the other international organizations freemasonry rotarianism the jews sorry that's the jews. <laughs> just thrown in there. Huh? <laughs> career diplomacy these what the fuck is with the
1: jews he just throws that in there well these were real conspiracies
0: No, I guess, right? So, okay, this is him being like, them. You know, career diplomacy. These propose political solutions of diverse historical origin and assist their victory in particular countries, functioning as international political parties which operate with in each nation with the full concentration of the international forces. But religion, freemasonry, rotary, Jews, etc., can be subsumed into the social category of intellectuals, whose function on an international scale is that of mediating the extremes, of socializing the technical discoveries which provide the impetus for all activities of leadership, of devising compromises between and ways out of extreme solutions. End parentheses. This relation between international forces and national forces is further complicated by the existence within every state of several structurally diverse territorial sectors, with diverse relations of force at all levels. Parentheses. Thus, the Vendee, Vendee I don't know if I can out of a- speak italian was allied with the forces of international reaction that and represented them in the heart of french territorial oh well that's french first off so (laughs) i don't know how to speak that either similarly lyons in the french revolution represented a particular knot of relations etc and parentheses the third moment is that of the relation of military forces which from time to time is directly decisive Parentheses: Historical development oscillates continually between the first and the third moment, with the mediation of the second. End parentheses, but this moment too is not in undifferentiated, nor is it susceptible to immediate schematic definition. Here too, two levels can be distinguished: the military level in the strict or technical military sense, and the level which may be termed political military. <sighs> In the course of history, these two levels have appeared in a great variety of combinations. A typical example, which can serve as a hypothetical demonstration, is the relation involved in a state's military oppression of a nation seeking to attain its national independence. Insert every settler colonial, colonial society. Um, so, continuing. The relation is not purely military, but politico-military. Indeed, this type of oppression would be inexplicable if it were not for the state of social disintegration of the oppressed people and the passivity of the majority among them. Consequently, independence cannot be won with purely military forces. It requires both military and politico-military ones. If the oppressed nation, in fact, before embarking on its struggle for independence, had to wait until the hegemonic state allowed it to organize its own army, in the strict and technical sense of the word, it would have to wait quite a while. It may happen, but the claim to have... Its own army is conceded by the hegemonic nation, but this only means that great part of the struggle has already been fought and won on the political-military terrain. The oppressed nation will therefore initially oppose the dominant military force with a force which is only political-military, that is to say form of political action which has the virtue of pro- provoking repercussions of a military character in the sense of, one, that it is, has the capacity to destroy the war potential of the dominant nation from within, Two, that it compels the dominant military force to thin out and disperse itself over a large area, thus nullifying a great part of its war potential. In the Italian Risorgimento, best I'll do, the disastrous absence of political military leadership may be noted, especially in the Action Party, though con parentheses, though congenial incapacity, and in parentheses. But also in the Montese moderate party both before and after 1848 not to be sure though the incapacity but thorough political economic malthusiasm. In other words, because they were unwilling even to hint at the possibility of an Hungarian reform and because they had no desire to see a national constituent assembly convoked, but merely waited for the Piedmont monarchy, free from any conditions or limitations of popular origin, to extend its rule to the whole of Italy, sanctioned only by regional plebiscites. Plebi- plebis- yeah, plebiscites? Yeah, yeah
1: plebiscite.
0: What is a plebiscite? Is that like a council of plebeians?
1: It's like a national uh,
0: vote. A further question connected with the foregoing is whether fundamental historical crises are directly determined by economic crises. Historical crises are directly determined by economic crises. The answer is contained implicitly in the foregoing paragraphs where problems have been considered, which are only another way of presenting them one now under consideration nevertheless it is still necessary for didactic reasons given the particular public which is being aimed at to examine each of the ways in which a single question may present itself as if it were a new and independent problem it may be ruled out that the immediate economic crisis of themselves produce fundamental historical events they can simply create They can simply create a terrain more favorable to the disseminations of certain modes of thought and certain ways of posing and resolving questions involving the entire subsequent development of national life. Moreover, all assertions concerning periods of crisis or of prosperity may give rise to unilateral judgments in his historical outline of the, oh, unilateral judgments, period. In his historical outline of the French revolution, Mathias Is that right? I don't know. In opposition to the vulgar traditional history, which a a prioristically discovers a crisis coinciding with every major rupture of social equilibrium, asserts that towards 1789, the economic situation was in the immediate sense rather good so that it cannot be said that the downfall of this absolute state was due to a crisis of impoverishment. It should be observed that the state was in the throes of a mortal financial crisis and considering which of the privileged social orders would have to bear the sacrifices and burdens necessary for the state and royal finances to be put back in order. Furthermore, the economic position of the bourgeoisie was flourishing. The situation of the popular classes was certainly not good, either in the towns or especially on the land where they suffered from epidemic poverty. In any case, the rupture of the equilibrium of forces did not occur as the result of the direct mechanical causes, i.e. the impoverishment of the social group which had an interest in breaking the equilibrium, and which did not, in fact, break it. It occurred in the context of conflicts on a higher plane than in the immediate world of the economy, conflicts related to class prestige— parentheses future economic interests and parentheses and to an inflammation of sentiments of independence autonomy and power the specific question of economic hardships of well-being as a cause of new historical realities is a partial aspect of the question of the relations of force at their various levels changes can come about either because of because a situation of well-being is threatened by the narrow self-interest of an opposing group, or because hardship has become intolerable and no force is visible in the old society capable capable of mitigating it and of reestablishing normality by legal means. This is just state and revolution summed up. <laughs> anyway, hence it may be said that all these elements... Are the concrete manifestation, the conjunctural fluctuations of the totality of social relations of force, on whose terrain the passage takes place, from the latter to political relations of force, and finally to the military relation, which is decisive. If this process of development from one moment to the next is missing, and is essentially a process which has, has its as its actors' men and their will and capability, so the situation is not taken advantage of and contradictory. Outcomes are possible. Either the old society resists and ensures itself a breathing space by physically exterminating the elite of the rival class and terrorizing its mass reserves. Or a reciprocal destruction of the conflicting forces occurs and a piece of the graveyard is established, perhaps even under the surveillance of a foreign guard. But the most important observation to be made in any concrete analysis of the relations of force is the following, that such analysis can uh, and must not be ends of themselves unless the intention is merely to write a chapter of past history, but acquire significance only if they serve to justify a particularly practical significance, wait, particularly practical activity and initiative of will. They reveal the points of least resistance at which the force of will can be most fruitfully applied. They suggest immediate tactical operations They indicate how a campaign of political agitation may be best launched, what language will best be understood by the masses, etc. The decisive (laughs) amount... The decisive element in every situation is the permanently organized and long prepared force, which can be put into the field when it is judged that a situation is favorable. Parentheses and it can be favorable only insofar as such a force exists and is full of fighting spirit in parentheses. Therefore, the essential task is that of a systemically and patiently ensuring that this force is formed, developed, rendered even more, ever more homogeneous, compact, and self aware. This is clear from military history and from the care with which in every period armies have been prepared in advance to be able to make war at any moment. The great states have been greatly, great precisely because they were at all times prepared to intervene effectively and in favorably international, favorably, oh, in favorable international conjunctures, which were precisely flavored favorable because there was the concrete possibility of effectively intervening in them we can look at palestine right now and britain in the u.s you know intervening with the yemeni seizure of trade ships supplying you know the genocidal
1: zionist entity with uh, goods Did you want to read next, or that's the end of it?
0: Well, I know, but we're we're on to the next part, eleven. Oh, I I just figured we'd try to we'd try to read more.
1: Yeah, we can go.
0: Yeah, we twelve minutes. I could finish this without you, you know.
1: <laughs> well, the next one is long as well.
0: Well, that, you know I want to I want to get a jump start on it you know
1: <laughs> 11 some theoretical and practical aspects of economism economism theoretical movement for free trade theoretical syndicalism it should be considered to what degree theoretical syndicalism derives originally from the philosophy of praxis and to what degree from economic don doctrines of free trade i.e. from the last analysis from in the last analysis from liberalism hence it should be considered whether economism in its most developed form is not a direct descendant of liberalism having very little connection with the philosophy of practice even in its origins and what connection it only had only extrinsic and purely verbal the nexus between free trade ideology and theoretical syndicalism is particularly evident in Italy, where the admiration of syndicalists like Lenzillo and company for Pareto is well known. The significance of the two tendencies, however, is very different. The former belongs to a dominant and directive social group, the latter to a group which is still subaltern, which has not yet gained consciousness of its strength, its possibilities of how it is to develop, and which therefore does not know how to escape from its primit- from the primitivist phase. The approach of the free trade movement is based on a theoretical error whose practical origin is not hard to identify, namely the distinction between political society and civil society, which is made into and presented as an organic one whereas in fact it is merely methodological. Thus it is asserted that economic activity belongs to civil society and that the state must not intervene to regulate it. But in actual reality, civil society and state are one and the same. It must be made clear that laissez-faire, too, is a form of state regulation introduced and maintained by legislative and coercive means. It is a deliberate policy conscious of its own ends and not the spontaneous automatic expression of economic facts. Con- consequently, laissez faire liberalism is a political program designed to change insofar as it is victorious a state's designed to change a state's per- ruling personnel and to change the economic program of the state itself in other words the distribution of national income the case of theoretical syndicalism is different here we are dealing with a subaltern group which which is prevented by this theory from ever becoming dominant or from the development or from developing beyond the economic corporate stage and rising to the phase of ethico-political hegemony in civil society and of domination in the state. In the case of laissez-faire liberalism, one is dealing with the fraction of the class of the ruling class which wishes to modify not the structure of the state but merely government policy, which wishes to reform the laws controlling commerce, but only indirectly those controlling industry. (Parentheses: since it is undeniable that protection, especially in countries with a poor and restricted market,) limits freedom of industrial enterprise and favors unhealthily the creation of monopolies. And parentheses, what is at stake is a rotation in government office of the ruling class parties, not the foundation and organization of a new political society and even less of a new type of civil society, in the case of the, the theoretical syndicalist movement, the problem is more complex. It is undeniable that in it, the independence and autonomy of the subaltern group, which it claims to represent, are in fact, in fact, sacrificed to the intellectual hegemony of the ruling class. Since precisely theoretical syndicalism is merely an aspect of laissez-faire liberalism justified with a few mutilated and therefore banalized theses from the philosophy of praxis. Why and how does quote-unquote sacrifice come about? The transformation of the subordinate group into a dominant one is excluded, either because the problem is not even considered, parenthesis Fabianism, demand, an important part of the labor party, And parentheses, or because it is posed in an inappropriate and ineffective form, parentheses, social democratic tendencies in general, and parentheses, or because of a belief in the possibility of leaping from class society directly into a society of perfect equality with a syndical economy. The attitude of economism towards expressions of political and intellectual will, action or initiative is to say the least strange, as if these do not, did not emanate organically from economic necessity, and indeed were not the only effective expression of the economy. Thus it is incongruous, incongruous? That the concrete posing of the problem of hegemony should be interpreted as a fact of as a fact subordinating the hegemonic group. Undoubtedly, the fact of hegemony presupposes that the account be taken of the interests and tendencies of the groups over which hegemony is to be exercised, and that a certain compromise equalis- equilibrium should be formed. In other words, that the leading group should make sacrifices of an economic corporate kind. But there is also no doubt that such sacrifices, such as compromise, cannot touch the essential. For though hegemony is ethico-political, it must also be economic, must necessarily be based on the decisive function exercised by the leading group in the decisive nucleus of economic activity. Economism appears in many other guises besides laissez-faire, besides laissez-faire liberalism and theoretical syndicalism. All forms of electoral abstentionism belong to it. Parentheses. A typical example is the abstentionism of the Italian clericals after 1870, which became ever more attenuated after 1900 until 1919, and the formation of the popular party. The organic distinction which the clericals made between the real Italy and the legal Italy was the reproduction of the distinction between the economic world and the political legal world. And parentheses. And there are many such forms in the sense that there can be semi-absentantism, 25% absentantism, etc. Linked with absentantism is the formula, quote, the worse it gets, the better that it will be. The better that will be, end quote. And also the formula of the so-called parliamentary intransigence of certain groups of deputies. Economism is not always opposed to political action and to the political party, but the latter is seen merely as an educational organism similar in kind to a trade union. One point of reference for study of Economism and for understanding the relations between structure and superstructure is the passage in The Poverty of Philosophy, where it says that an important phase in the development of a social group is that in which the individual components of a trade union no longer solely for their own economic interests, but for the defense and development of the organization itself. See the exact statement. Oh, this is a long ass uh okay, so we're going into a long ass uh parentheses, <laughs> so parentheses see the exact statement, then there's a footnote where the exact statement is um the poverty of philosophy is is an essential moment in the formation of the philosophy of praxis. It can be considered as a oh my God,
0: this is all a parenthesis I thought, oh my
1: God, yeah, that's why I paused. <laughs>
0: I didn't understand what you meant. And then all of a sudden I I noticed where the end is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, The poverty of, so like see the exact statement and then there's footnote 15 and then footnote 15 leads to like towards the end of the book where it has the exact page number with the exact quote that he's referring to. Um, And then The poverty of philosophy is an essential moment in the formation of the philosophy of praxis. It can be considered as a development of the theses on Faurabach, while the holy family and occasional work is a vaguely intermediate stage, as as is apparent from the passages devoted to Proudhon and specifically to French materialism. The passage on French materialism is more than anything else a chapter of cultural history, not a theoretical passage, as it is often interpreted as being. And as culturally, as cultural history, it is admirable. Recall the observation. <laughs> Do you remember this? Recall the observation that the critique of Proudhon and his interpretation of the Hegelian dialectic contain in the poverty of philosophy. May be extended to uh, Gioberti and the Hegelianism of the Italian moderate liberals in general. The parallel of Pratt-Hall and Gioberti, despite the fact that they represent non-homogenous politico-historical phases, indeed, precisely for the reason can be interesting and productive. End parentheses.
0: We'll finish out this paragraph and I'll end it. If you have to go, then you go.
1: In this connection, Engels' statement, too, should be recalled. (laughs) This motherfucker. In this connection, Engels' statement, too, should be recalled that the economy is only the mainspring of history in the last analysis, parentheses, to be found in his two letters on the philosophy of praxis praxis also published in Italian and parentheses. This statement could is to be related directly to the passage in the preface to a contribution to the political to the critique of political economy, which says that it is on the terrain of ideologies that men become conscious of conflicts in the world of the economy.
0: And there we have it, where we're going to end today, uh, hating ourselves for not having as good of a memory as Gramsci. Uh, I'd like to think maybe in my younger days, before I beat the shit out of my brain with alcohol, <laughs> maybe maybe I could have been this good. So remember that, kids. You know, Don't drink. To, well, like back then, I was literally trying to make myself dumber. <laughs> for other reasons so it worked you know i succeeded in my goals but if you ever have a self-destructive goal don't don't succeed i hope you fail (laughs) that's that's today's message (laughs) i hope you fail No, anyway uh we're gonna win right uh So, uh, anyway, uh, you know, read the footnotes. They're bangers, usually. I don't know if people – I know our group of friends do, you know, but I don't know how many people avoid footnotes, but I highly recommend them. They're always awesome sometimes. Uh, (laughs) Always, sometimes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's very difficult, unfortunately, to, uh, to read the footnotes in this book because they're at, they're actually at the end they're not at the bottom of the page.
0: Well, yeah, I mean like that's one thing I kind of like about um who's it? peace land and bread. They have a lot of footnotes, you know, like at the bottom of the page actually instead of end notes. Footnotes over end notes all day. Anyway, uh just a personal preference of mine with ADHD brain, but uh, <laughs> uh we uh we have in many ways to complain about the show. So <laughs> marks Madness Pod at gmail.com is one, but chunkaluta uh network at gmail.com is another. I just I got I just checked it today and some I wasn't that late replying to somebody's email in there. So you know we're doing good. Um anyway, uh there you can you know yell at David or me about whatever we said wrong and maybe help educate us. But uh otherwise, you know, follow us on our various social medias like at Mark's Madness Pod for this specific podcast. Or you can go to linktree slash chunkaluta.com where we have a bunch of our social media listed for the wider network because this is obviously Mark's Madness Pod, now part of Chunkaluta Network. However, David says it. anyway, uh, Prez, where can people find you talking more and also maybe you know stalking people on x?
1: Twitter, you mean? No, it's X. No, it's not <laughs> um, i I happen to have a podcast called The Minion. Uh, we have some episodes there.
0: They're the Jews. No, so, sorry. <laughs> the, the,
1: the Jews that like she mentioned. <laughs> uh, I'm being inducted into the Freemasons soon too. So
0: I always want to go to. The, there's a lodge just like next to the bakery, and I'm like, they they have like their meeting time scheduled. On the fucking <laughs> real real secret society is.
1: There was, like, a Freemason Lodge in the downtown of the suburb that I grew up in, and I, like, really wanted to see what was inside. And a Rotary Club. Damn. I guess my town controlled the world. So, uh... Anyway. (laughs) uh (laughs) We,
0: uh... We're uh, it's a Marxist Leninist perspective, uh, about things going on related to Judaism. It's good stuff. Um, and anti Zionist, too. You know, of course,
1: our most recent episode is about the ADL, yeah, good stuff, and why it sucks. And And we're gonna recommend that over
0: like people who are like Joe Rogan or something like that, talking about it from like the Alex Jones perspective.
1: right now you're probably not listening you're not probably not an avid joe rogan listener
0: well i'm an avid alex jones listener and that's how i know about this this. is true (laughs) but i don't think most people are routing their brains like me for fun with alex jones so anyway um yeah there's a bunch of things we got going on right now. We're raising money for a shipping container. Well, we're trying to pay back one of the organizers slowly. um you know they're not like hurting or anything, so now there's no deadline by the time we need the money, but also like you know one less thing we gotta worry about the sooner it gets done. So you know, maybe help with that. otherwise, we always got wood efforts going on to get people warm in this freezing cold weather. We already sent out like. I don't know, almost four thousand dollars this year or something like that, and it's January still. So I don't know. Support us. We bought a we bought the shipping container and we uh, we took out that U haul and we sent forty pounds of socks on top of it. And yeah,
1: that's that's a that's
0: a lot of socks. That's so many socks. It's like Sox 200 pairs of socks. Do right? not
1: weigh anything.
0: <laughs> yeah. For, they said 40 pounds of socks. And we were like, I think that's a lot.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I'm thinking about how much my socks weigh and like. Nothing. Maybe an ounce, two ounces.
0: I'd bet 0. 0.8 to 1.2 ounces.
1: I don't know. <laughs> Just fucking <substitute. laughs>
0: like that. <laughs> anyway yeah, a bunch of other stuff we bought somebody a trailer bunch of shit bunch of shit going on uh you know help out join up you know got a bunch of stuff going on uh we got some caravans planned later this year Th- this is all like happening before august you know we got like three caravans or some shit planned and you know i don't know bunch of stuff going on we're gonna build a building got a bunch of engineers gonna pay for it cool cool stuff going on uh anyway oh and if you know how to make passports or ids like like the technology to do it because we're going to do it legally for a nation but like (laughs) it's like it's not it's not to illegally print passports and ids i promise it's not even going to be in the org's hands frankly (laughs) if you know how to do that though (laughs)
1: I have no part in this.
0: This is not a honeypot. <laughs> I don't, I, I'm sure you could just Google it, but I I just... I don't know. Don't don't mention it in your email. Like, Just be like, hey, I know about that thing. <laughs> anyway, I don't want to be on a list. We already looked up RPGs today. so. <laughs> anyway, thank you all for listening. Um, this has been Mark's Madness, now part of the Chunkaluta Network. I'm Shungmani, too.
1: I'm Prez. And
0: uh David's dead, so
1: <laughs> he's not coming back. See ya.